So uh, thinking about the breakout, I was like, man, there's a lot of different directions we can go. Because uh, I was telling some in here that uh, normally I'm on stage for about an hour and a half. And so there's just a lot of stuff I'm digging in on, you know. So trimming down to 40 minutes, it's like, okay, how are we going to get 40 minutes, you know, and, and, um, and still make it all make sense and everything. So there's certain things I can dig into more. And um, so I, I kind of want to ask y'all what y'all want to dig in on. Or maybe I'll just jump in. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But one thing I do want to I do want to mention is um, I've talked to three or four different people now here who have the exact same problem. And I was thinking, well, maybe we just address that real quick. <laughs> and the problem is kind of what I mentioned on stage is that, um, is that the, the, the churches and those, those churches have the hardest time being consistent. And it, it's really hard. And so, um, you know, in business world, there's studies out there that show that there's 23% revenue increase that you can attribute just to consistency. And when I first saw that, I thought, how is that possible? How can, how can you attribute 23% revenue increase to consistency? And I thought about it, and the reason is because of brand recall. And so you know you have to tell people something 20 different times before they actually hear it. And so it's brand recall that, that causes it. And so that's what makes it to where uh, when, when someone has a problem, you're the first name that comes up. And that's what you're looking for. But when you can't be consistent, you never become that thing in someone's brain where you're the answer to their problem, like the first answer that comes up. So like when I say shoes, what's the first brand that comes to mind? Nike. Nike, yeah. I mean, I did Inception earlier. But uh, yeah, Nike. When I say coffee, what's the first brand that comes to mind? Starbucks. Starbucks, yeah. They are so consistent, these brands. When I say a car, what's the first brand that comes to mind? It is a little harder, <clears throat> but these different, like Jeep is usually one that comes up a lot, and they are so consistent with how they're putting stuff out there, right? But it's all about consistency. And, uh, and one thing, when I, when I go from church to church, the, the thing that I see most often is a big-time lack of consistency. And so if, if that's happening, how are people going to, going to take in what you're saying? Because you have to say it 20 times. And I was talking to someone else, and they, and they were saying that, um, you know, we, we say that we've communicated something to the congregation, but then they, they've realized that nobody's moving on the thing. And I said, well, yeah, that's because you have to say the same thing over and over and over and over again before they actually take it in. I was saying, like, Dave Ramsey, he's on the radio, and Dave has said the exact same sentences for over 30 years. It doesn't make him boring. It's just the same thing. And so he's, he's predictable, he's consistent, but that's why when people say, I got a problem with money, Dave Ramsey's usually the first brand that comes to mind is that, because he has said the same thing over and over and over and over again. So when I was talking to, to, to that guy, I was saying, yeah, when you have something you've got to communicate, like when you have your values and beliefs, you get that and you say it over and over and over and over again. And the problem that I see in the church a lot of times is that we get bored easily as makers and all that, you know, we get bored. So we're like, uh, let's, let's do this thing over here. Let's do this new thing over here. Design-wise, let's do this thing over here. And every church I walk into, I walk down the halls and every ad that they have for the different ministries and all that all look completely different from each other. And so you walk in and there's no consistency whatsoever in, in, in anywhere through the words and through the design. And so, um, so if the church can just be better about being consistent from sermon series to sermon series, having a thread of design that's similar from thing to thing, such so you're building up, oh, this is what they're about. This is what they're about. And when you see, you know, he was saying, well, sometimes you have a kid ministry and then you have like a... Um, a an older person ministry, I don't know the right way to say that. Um, <laughs> those are completely different kinds of things. And I said, yeah, but you can still have a design thread that connects the two. And this is what's important. You know, uh, years ago, I was talking to our team, and we had two different brands that were dealing with retirement and, and uh, investing. 
And these two different brands looked completely different from each other under the same roof. And I said, this doesn't make any sense. And so, uh, so I started talking to the team and I started using the phrase, we have to transfer trust. We have to transfer trust, transfer trust. And what I meant is if we're building an audience over here with this brand, and there's this audience over here with this brand, we want them to, to look at this brand and automatically have some confidence because they've seen it before with a brand that they trust. So you don't have to relearn a new visual language every time you come across something from the business, right? And the same with the church. Um, there's churches in Nashville, they have different campuses. And from campus to campus, they all look different. We were talking about that a little bit. They, they, from campus to campus, they look different. And so you can't really tell that these churches that are doing great things in the community are all connected. And so then you're not transferring that trust. So then they're all separate churches again. So then the brand has a harder time growing in the community. Does that make sense? And so like that's after talking to a few people hearing the same thing, I was like, ah, I should probably start with talking about that, that that is probably the hardest thing for the church is consistency. And um, I talked to someone yesterday too. I said, why do you think that is? You know, and they're like, well, sometimes the lead pastor just has a new idea and wants to do this thing here. And they're like, we're doing this thing here. And I was like, okay, but we have to be able to say, but it has to, we have to talk about this and we have, it has to look like this. You know, these things have to matter. And it has to be over and over and over and over again. And over time, the 20 times people see the same thing, they start realizing, oh, all this great stuff that's happening is from that church. I want to be a part of that. And then when they have a problem, like I, I'm now a single dad, so the church, they can help, you know? And I remember I was, <laughs> I was a single dad for five years and my church did such a great job. Like I, I, I knew they could help, but there's, there's something about being consistent and being the first name that comes to mind when people actually need help with something. But you're not gonna do it if you're not consistent. And these brands that are spending billions of dollars are so consistent and they are so good. Like uh, before a lot of y'all came in, I was, I was telling some people in here that I really care about branding for the church uh, and, and I get to be on videos a lot at, at, uh, at Ramsey to talk specifically to churches and pastors about branding because uh, we should be amazing at branding. These companies, um, like even I was saying, even Nike, yeah, I, I like Nike, but over the last couple of decades, they've done things that I'm like, mm. and so my trust is really diminished with Nike. And there's all these companies that spend billions of dollars and they're so smart with branding that they're using it for emotional manipulation instead of actually changing people's lives and doing something great for them, you know? But then we got the church who actually has the answer to all these, all these problems. We got the church that is, that's really transforming lives and filling those things that they're trying to fill with these other things, but the church isn't focusing on branding, you know? And so I said, well, I gotta talk to the church about branding because if the church could be great at branding, we could really make a big impact on the community because branding is all about connecting to emotions. And we're thinking a lot about the facts and those companies are thinking a lot about emotions. Like it's, it's a lot of emotional manipulation. I see it over and over and over again. But it always bugged me when I hear, that was a good movie for a Christian movie. Or that was great music for Christian music. You know, and I, I don't like that. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather say, man, that was great music. They're Christian? <laughs> you know, I'd rather be like that. And even last night, I thought, I thought that was awesome last night. I, listened to that. I wasn't expecting that at all. And I was like, that that is awesome. <laughs> that's great stuff. Like, I want more stuff like that where people hear and be like, okay, that's great. They're Christian? Oh my gosh. I want to be a part of that, you know, and branding is a big part of that, you know, so we got to be super consistent. Okay, I want to start with that kind of stuff. There's so many directions I can take this, and I only got, I don't know how much time, and so um, I don't know if we should just do questions or if I should go deeper. What, what do y'all want to do? Questions or, or me just go deeper on stuff? Go deeper. Go deeper? Okay. All right. I will do that. Okay, I'm going to start with this. Uh, this stuff I find fascinating. Okay. Ooh, okay. You, 
there's, there's so much, there's so much to talk about when it comes to branding. So when I was researching all the stuff about branding for years and years and years, I realized that uh, when building a brand, you're basically building a friendship. Like that's what it is. When I say being human, you have to treat it like a friendship. And so friendships work the, work the same way as great brands do. And I'll give an example. When I talk about, uh, when you look at friendship, this is, this is what happens in a friendship. You have your first meeting and something looked and sounded pleasant. Like you, you can't put your finger on it, but you, you meet someone like a friend and, uh, and you're like, oh, that person seems cool. Can't even put your finger on why. And then second thing, you start talking and you realize you share things in common and you're like, oh yeah, me too. And you end up talking for a couple of hours. You're like, oh yeah, we agree on the same things, right? And then over time, you build memories by just doing stuff together, going to coffee shops, playing golf, all you build these memories together. And then as you grow, you mature in your understanding of each other, right? And then your fondness grew because of extreme consistency. And if that friend were to show up, and after you've been friends for 20 years, who shows up and dresses different, talks different, instantly trust starts breaking out, like what happened to this guy? You know, but when they're extremely consistent, fondness just continues to grow and the relationship grows. And that's what a friendship looks like. And so we'll go back to the Jordan brand. It was the, it's the same thing. And so I saw those shoes, sweet looking shoes, those Jordan 11s. I still think they're the coolest shoes of all time. Uh, I saw those shoes. And then I realized they're communicating winning, achieving the impossible, all those things that really mattered to me, right? And then I watched those Bulls win championships, and then when I'm playing my own basketball games and we're in Nike, like I'm experiencing these moments of winning and all these things, right? And then maturing in the understanding, so I'm a big Houston Rockets fan, and so I see Nike associated with the Houston Rockets, and uh, ads are staying relevant to me, all this kind of stuff, and then they're extremely consistent in what they're saying. They maintain the same feeling, just do it, this stuff, right? So they're, it's, they're, they're doing the same kind of path as a friendship is built. And, uh, and the reason I say, oh, because this isn't a different framework from what I said earlier, I just shaved off two things. And so, um, so it works like this. The way a brand is built is it starts with the soul, which is the meaning. And the soul communicates, is communicated through design, words, moments. So all that I talked about on stage were these four things. But then there's maturing and understanding, and then there's consistency. Actually, I talked about this too. And so this is the, this is the main one that I, that I didn't talk about. And this is just understanding uh, the customer and what matters to them, understanding the audience, understanding them, and understanding what matters to them. So branding, the difference between branding and marketing is branding is all about me and marketing is all about you. And the, and the, 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 the thing is it's a dance between the two, right? And so everything that you're figuring out, when you're figuring out a brand, you're figuring out the soul of the brand and the meaning, that's just the stuff that matters to me. I'm, I'm not building a brand based off of what matters to other people. I'm building a brand off of what matters to me. Because if I'm building a brand off of what matters to other people, then all I'm doing is building a brand um, that isn't really authentic to me. And what I tell my team all the time is, if we're only listening to the customer about what they want, then all we're doing is, is building what the world wants us to build. And we're not called to do that. We're called to build a vision of what Jesus wants us to put in the world. And if we're, if we're just listening to the audience and building our brand off of that, then we're just, we're just giving the world what they want. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to put in the world what God, the vision that God gave us, and then we talk to the audience and see what resonates with them. So I was telling someone earlier, when you have your values and beliefs, you understand what those things are, but then there's a hundred different ways to say those values and beliefs. So once you understand those values and beliefs, then you try saying it in a bunch of different ways and you see which one of those ways starts to move the audience. And you start seeing, when does body language shift in the congregation? What way do I say this that makes it connect? But that's the dance between the two. I understand what I'm trying to say and then I talk to them and say, what's a way that I can get you to understand this? 
<laughs> you know, and it's that, it's that dance between the two, but that's the difference between branding and marketing. Branding is all about me, marketing is all about you, and it's how we're communicating. But again, it goes back to being human. It's a friendship, you know, and, and you build it just like you build a relationship. So that's what we're doing is you, you identify the brand of the soul first, then you design the appearance that reflects the soul, and you write the words that communicate the soul, and you create moments that make your audience experience the soul. And then you validate your audience's connection with your soul, and then you build and maintain trust through extreme consistency. And this is really the path to building a great brand. So I was saying I, shave, I have to shave off a lot for 40 minutes, so I usually talk an hour and a half, because I usually talk about this in there too. Uh, but it ends up becoming a ton of information in a short period of time, so I'm like, okay. But that's more about the audience. So I said, well, let's at least go in and figure out the brand, the, the part in understanding the meaning, and then expressing it through words, design, and moments. So <clears throat> this is what I find interesting about this. I mean, this stuff's fascinating, isn't it? Like I, I just love how all this works. It's, and it's, it's years of understanding how our brains and our hearts are wired and all that, you know? And, and you know, I realized that um, I said on stage, 90% of our, of our life, we're living in our unconscious brain. And with the unconscious brain, that's, we're going in and, and every one of you made decisions about this room just by walking in and none of them were conscious. But you, you, you all looked at the room and there was something that you, there's a ton and ton of information your brain just took in about this room that your conscious brain has no idea about. And it's just taking, it's just the unconscious brain pulling stuff in and that's where we're living most of our life is just we're, we're reacting to stuff. But that's why our emotions are connected to that part of the brain. And so that's why it's so important because if we're just living our life that way without thinking about it, it's the words and design and the moments that really get our unconscious brain moving and not the facts. You know, that's only 10% of our life we're dealing with facts. And we don't even want to live there very often. That's when we're reading documents and things like that, when our brain has to go and then we're extremely tired after 20 minutes. You know, we don't want to live in our conscious brain. We live in our unconscious brain. But branding is affected in the, in the unconscious brain and not the conscious brain. This stuff's just fascinating. <clears throat> okay. So... Uh, so this is what's really interesting. When it comes to, we'll talk a little bit about validating your audience connection with the soul. With this, so um, there's research out there that shows when, when it comes to products, organizations, businesses, and all that, there, there's a baseline for when a company's doing well or when an organization's doing well. There's baseline. And baseline is just they're highly satisfied. And that's it. That's just baseline when it comes to revenue and, and a business doing a good job or whatever, right? Um, <clears throat> so... You have baseline. If a brand can, can ha have highly satisfied people, but then also have those people perceive that brand different, like say tortilla chips. I don't really care which tortilla chips I have. I cannot tell one brand from another. That doesn't really matter to me. There's no brand differentiation, you know? <clears throat> but uh, like Fritos, I know what that is. Brand differentiation, okay, right? So if you're highly satisfied and, what is that? If you're highly satisfied and you can accomplish brand, um, uh, brand differentiation, it's 13% increase in revenue, 13% increase in loyalty, all this stuff, right? But if you can achieve being fully connected, it's a 52% increase in loyalty, connection, revenue, 52% increase. It's insane. And by fully connected, it just means emotionally connected. And so highly satisfied is with the facts, I did my job, good tortilla chips. Brand differentiation, they're actually saying something interesting with the tortilla chips. Fully connected, they are speaking to my heart and are talking about something that really matters to me. That's when you have to start understanding how do I say this in a way that resonates with the audience. And I'll give you examples of this. <clears throat> so um, let's see. Yeah, facts only lead to conclusion, emotions lead to action. And this is interesting. 
Emotion and motivate are derived from the same Latin word movere, which means to move. So the only way to move people is by hitting their emotions. If you get hit, hit their emotions, you're motivated to move. So that's when people want to be a part of your church. That's when people want to serve at the church. That's when people want to tie. That's when they want to do all that because their emotions are causing them to move and do something. But you have to, you have to get them in the heart. So I talked about this. And the difference between these two things are that's the fact and this is the emotion. And most people rely on the facts and little about the emotion. The emotion is all the storytelling around the beliefs and interesting ways to say it and using sensory language and things like that when you're expressing the beliefs. But you have to start figuring out <clears throat> that, um, that people, they, they say they want something, but if you only talk to the thing they say they want, you're actually not hitting their emotion. There's always something deeper that they really want. And you have to keep asking them why. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Why does it matter? To understand the thing that's really deep down. And if you can understand that thing deep down and speak to that, that's when you're speaking to their heart. And so an example of that is when people say, um, <clears throat> that they want unique style and clothing. Uh, no, they don't. What they really want is to stand out from the crowd. So if I were a business that did clothing, I would stop talking so much about the unique clothing and talk more about what it looks like to stand out from the crowd. And once you start talking about that stuff, that's when you're hitting people's emotions, not the facts on top. Same thing with uh, people say they want, to, they want to be on a money plan. No, they don't. <laughs> Nobody wants to be on a money plan. Nobody wants to sit through financial courses. Nobody wants to do budgeting. Nobody wants to do that stuff. What they really want is to have confidence in the future. That's really what they're looking for. <clears throat> it's just a money plan is a means to get that other thing that they want. So at Ramsey, if we're constantly selling a money plan, constantly selling uh, do this financial course, do budgeting, not going to work so much, but when we're always selling what it looks like to have confidence in the future, that's what's going to make people move because that's the thing they really want. So we show pictures of that. If you ever listen to a show and listen to debt-free screams and all that, that's us giving a vision of what it looks like to have confidence in the future. And we say, you know, if you really want that, you should probably do Financial Peace University, <laughs> you know. But the financial peace is a means to the freedom and the confidence that they're actually looking for. They just don't say that. They only say this on the left. And if we only speak to that, only this conclusion doesn't lead to movement. People say, I want an awesome motorcycle. No, they don't. They want to feel a sense of freedom. <clears throat> so for, for years, a Harley was my sole source of transportation, and I loved it. My mom came home one day when I was 16 years old with a Harley, didn't tell anybody, and she just came home, boom, you know, and I heard it in the driveway, and, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is it? And so I go outside, and my mom was like, Tim, we got to get you a motorcycle license. This is amazing. And I was like, okay. And I was 16 years old. And, uh, and so I got my motorcycle license uh, that next weekend. And I ended up being able to take my Harley, my mom's Harley, to high school because she worked night shifts at NASA. I was down in Houston. She worked at night shifts. So she'd get home at 6 a.m. And then I'd take the Harley to high school at 7 a.m. And it was the coolest thing ever, right? And I was 16 years old. And, uh, but what's interesting is when I think back about that motorcycle, I don't actually think about the motorcycle. I think about what it felt like riding down the road and feeling all that wind and having nothing between me and God's creation. And, and that's what I remember, you know, and that's what I go back to. And when and now I don't have a motorcycle and I've been talking to my wife for a long time saying, we've got to get a Harley again. Um, but I don't think about the actual bike and I don't think about the specs of the bike, none of that stuff. I just think of what it felt like to have a bike and that, that sense of freedom, you know. And so Harley, when they're doing ads, they never talk about the specs of the bike. They just talk about freedom. That's all they're talking about all the time because that's what people really want is the freedom. And there's something around that Harley brand. That's a brand I actually really love. It's one of my favorite brands of all time. And so if you can understand what that deep down thing is, then you could really speak to people's hearts. 
So you can ask them, what do you want? And they'll say, oh, I really want to do this. Okay, but why do you want that? And you keep asking those kinds of questions, you can really dig down and understand, oh, I see what you really want. And then you start talking to that instead. Another example, y'all remember this ad for, uh, I don't even remember, Extra, I think it was Extra Gum. Try it, Extra, I don't remember. It was a gum commercial, but you remember the commercial, right? And so, uh, so this dad and this little girl, and she's a little girl, and I get Terry out thinking about it because I got a three-year-old daughter. Dad and little girl, they chew gum together, and every time they make a little origami bird every time they have the gum, right? So then the years go by, and every time they eat gum, and then they make a bird and all that stuff. Years go by, year goes by. And then she's going, huh, why do I get Terry? <clears throat> Picture my daughter going off to college. That's still 17 years away. Don't even think about it. <clears throat> but... Um, she goes off to college, and a, a box falls out of the car, and it opens up, and it's a ton of these origami things, right? And, um, and, and they're not selling gum in these ads. They're selling connection to a loved one, because that's what people really want. It's a gum commercial, but gum is just the facts. That's not what they're selling. What they're selling is connection to a loved one. That's the thing that really matters. So you speak to that if you're going to people's hearts. Beer commercials. Every time you see a beer commercial, there's always a dude, hey, yeah, going to the beach with all the beer, and you see the coolers and everything, right? It's always the same kind of thing, because they're not selling beer. <laughs> they are selling feeling like a part of the group. That's, you see them at the bar and everything. Everybody's like, hey, hey you came. Hey. You know, they're selling being part of the group. They're not selling the beer, you know? But that's what speaks to people, because that's the thing they really want. Beer is just a means to make that happen. And it's just like the coffee shop. Coffee, okay, whatever. That's not what you should be selling. Sell that we're going to help reduce suicide, depression, and anxiety. Coffee is just a means to make that happen. <clears throat> it's just a deeper kind of thing. And um, laundry detergent. <clears throat> There's a, I, I read this book uh, years ago, and I still remember the story where he says there's this detergent commercial and, um, and, or this d detergent brand. And so the, the researchers went and started talking to, uh, to different moms <clears throat> and said, hey, why do you... Uh, why do you like this detergent? Like, why does it matter? And she said, well, I want my clothes to be clean. And they said, okay, well, why does it matter that your clothes are clean? And she says, I don't know. I just think, you know, I want to look nice. I want to smell nice. Yeah, yeah, but why does it matter that you want to smell nice and look nice? And she's like, I don't know. I just, I just think it's important that my family looks nice and presentable and all this kind of stuff. And they just kept asking, why, why does this matter? Why does this matter? <clears throat> and then they drilled down to it and said, well, why does that matter? And she said, because I want to look like a good mom. Oh, <laughs> that, that's, that's the thing. So once they realized that she's really doing all this just to look like a good mom, then they said, okay, well, let's stop talking about the bleach crystals in, uh, in the detergent, and let's just start talking about what it looks like to be a good mom. And so then they started putting ads out of, <clears throat> of these moms doing stuff with the kids and just proving that I'm a, I'm a good mom, all this kind of stuff. And it was rarely about the detergent. I think Publix does a good job, too. It's rarely about the groceries. They're just always showing family together and picnics and doing things. And we're like, that's what I want, a good life for my family. And then Publix is just in the background, you know. But they're associating themselves with this thing that you actually do want. Groceries are just a means to make it happen, you know. The opposite is Kroger. Nothing against Kroger. I'm not a big fan. But Kroger, you see, you see their ads, and it's all low prices this week, low prices, da-da-da-da-da-da. Those are just facts. And those might get you some sales in the short term as a business, but it doesn't create loyalty in the long term. What Publix does creates loyalty in the long term, where they're actually talking about family and things, things that matter, not just low prices, you know. <clears throat> so, um, interesting, huh? <laughs> the, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're common. I wanted to list these out because there are, um, there are studies that show there are common, and I call these emotional motivators. There are common emotional motivators among all organizations and business and all that, just common things that people want deep down. And I pulled out five that I think are really relevant to the church. 
And five are uh, having confidence in the future is a big one. Uh, enjoying a sense of well-being, <clears throat> feeling a sense of freedom, feel a sense of belonging, and feeling secure. These are, these are deep down emotional motivators that really good brands speak to when they're trying to sell a product. And they're trying to say, our product will help you feel these things. <clears throat> and this is what I mean by these, these companies are putting, they're putting their brands out there. And like we deal with SoFi's and uh, not deal with them, we actually deal with hating on them because they're destroying people's lives. But uh, SoFi's and Capital One, uh, Wells Fargo, Sally Mae, we deal with these companies and we see what they're doing to families and we see what they're doing. Like the student loan industry is insane. If y'all haven't seen our documentary, Borrowed Future, about the student loan industry, watch Borrowed Future. You can get it on Amazon and all that. Just watch it and it'll blow your mind of what these companies are doing to destroy people's lives just to make money. <clears throat> and, but they, they talk about these things when they're trying to sell their product. And their product is just getting people into more and more debt that they can't get out of, you know? But that's why these, these great brands are talking about this stuff. And I'm thinking, no, the church actually does provide these things. The church actually does give you uh, <clears throat> confidence in the future. So set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. There is a future that you could have confidence in because of Jesus. Enjoy a sense of well-being. Yeah, you got the fruits of the Spirit <laughs> that come when you got the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of well-being in there, a sense of freedom. Come on. Like Jesus is all about freedom. Please, a, feel, a, a sense of belonging. We're a body of Christ working together to do something amazing in the world, right? And feeling secure. Yes, you're secure when you have that relationship with Jesus. We have the real answers to these things that people really want. But those other companies are beating us at it, and they're actually using that to manipulate instead of actually transforming their lives. And so when they say, hey, Tim, can you talk about branding to the church? I say, yes, please let me talk about branding to the church because I know we've got the answer to this stuff. And if we can be great at branding as a church, as believers, <clears throat> we could really transform this culture. And, and especially if the churches, if we look at it that way, and, and the church is not trying to be everything to everybody, because I see that all the time too, we don't have to be like we we are a body of believers a body of churches there are different communities need different things and if the churches are more united in what we're trying to do to transform people's lives and knowing that as a body of churches we are going to transform this culture then we can really do something amazing but the churches have to have to stop saying we're going to be everything to everybody and get <clears throat> get more simplified on what we're actually trying to do in this community and if all churches are doing that and they're really clear really specific and very consistent we can actually transform this culture and and make it what, it what it needs to be, because right now it's nuts, <laughs> you know, but the church has to answer to all this stuff. So um, that's that stuff. <laughs> that's resonance. Does that all make sense? Interesting? Uh, I, I find this stuff fascinating. I, I love talking branding and everything. I don't know how much time I have left. I don't, I don't know. I think 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I guess we can go to questions if you want, unless you want to hear more about moments, because I got stuff on that too. <laughs> I have a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I have is, is, at Ramsey, you are dealing with a probably 18 plus demographic, right? You're dealing with the, the adults. Yeah. Um, in a church world, I think for us, sometimes it seems like our demographic is they stretch from birth to death, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So we're branding. Mm -hmm. So from a branding perspective, I may be getting too tactical, so bear with me. No, you're good. Um, you talk about the consistency of that through thread. How yeah. do you build that when you're doing like a preschool brand, a children's yeah. brand, all a young adult, a senior adult brand? How would you how would you go about accomplishing that? And then communicating that to the key stakeholders in such a yeah. way that they understand yeah. vision. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, we do have a lot of eighteen uh, and up demographics, but we do have uh, Ramsey education, like we have a whole department dedicated to elementary schools and middle schools and all that stuff. So we do actually range quite a bit. 
And um, <clears throat> we, have, we have common things that are gonna be the same amongst all our brands no matter what the brand is gonna be. Like we, we have an 80-20 rule and we say 80% of the look of the brand is going to be the same and 20% is gonna be different. And, um, and so with our brand, I showed you the mood board there. Even if you go to our Ramsey education stuff, you'll see the same kind of brush stroke that shows up. And, uh, and, and you'll see the same handwritten font that we've got. And so when we talk about if two of ours are real and bold, we have a handwritten font for the real and we have a bold Gibson font for the bold. And those two are always working together and those are supposed to communicate uh, real and bold with our typography. And so, uh, so with, with the younger audience, then we just have to say, okay, knowing that we're gonna use these kind of fonts and we're gonna use this kind of brush stroke, the rest then is, all right, what kind of colors are we gonna use? What kind of photography are we going to use to show the kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because there's always something that you can, there's always some kind of design thread that could be woven through all of them. There's always something. You just have to choose what it's going to be. And when you have to, when you end up understanding our three words for design are this, this, and this. When it's warm, real, and bold. Okay, what does warm, real, and bold look like for kids? What does warm, real, and bold look like for adults, for this, this, this? And then you can start figuring out, okay, so for this area it's going to look like this. But as you're working those things and being consistent, you'll start seeing, oh, there's the connection is this. Visually, it's this, you know. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, you ask about uh, getting key holders bought in or stakeholder, key stakeholders bought in. Um, I, I deal with that also. Uh, I say deal with that. I, I've actually, so early on, I started trying to communicate this stuff to a bunch of leaders. Like just when I was a senior designer, I was like, man, this stuff's really... <laughs> it's really bothering me that our brands are so different from each other, you know? So I started communicating it over and over again. <clears throat> and I just put a lot of um, presentations together that, that show the importance of this stuff, you know? And I know that that gets kind of complicated because a lot of the stuff we're talking about with, um, with branding is, is so abstract. It's not black and white, like revenue numbers and things like that, it's, it's not. Because we're talking about emotions and we're talking about making it human. And human and emotions are very abstract. There is nothing black and white about it. And so it gets very difficult to understand, how do I talk about these things? And so I have so many stats in, uh, in research because I need to be able to communicate in a language that, that the stakeholders and the VPs understand. And it's just, it's data, you know? And so I just started taking a lot of research and stats and all these things. And, and uh, like one stat I remember years ago was that um, out of the top Fortune 100, the top 11 companies in the Fortune 100 are considered design-centric companies. <clears throat> and so those companies made like 150% more, I forgot the numbers, but uh, so much more money than the other 89 companies combined. Like they made so much more and they were considered design-centric companies. And those companies were Apple, Nike, Starbucks, Patagonia, brands like that. All of those, all of those leaders, um, all the founders are creatives. Phil Knight for Nike is a creative person. G Steve Jobs for Apple is a creative person. Um, uh, Schultz for Starbucks is a creative person. You know, and it, it, what that what that showed was that when you're leading with creativity, when you're leading with uh, messaging and design and experiences, like when you really take um, when you really take it for how important it is then organizations can ramp past everybody else. The problem is it's, it's just abstract, <clears throat> and so you don't have black and white numbers to prove it. And so when, when you're talking to leaders who don't understand the abstract and the importance and the value of creativity and all that, it's really hard to communicate, but that's when I just try to come up with as, as much stats and data as I can. And even, like I was talking to someone, and they're like, I want to take these notes that you're talking about, and then I'm going to talk to my, my leader about it because he was saying, 
this isn't my expertise, this isn't my background, but if I say there's this guy who's an expert that said this, that's more likely to get people over the edge. And so like when I was talking to VPs uh, back in the days, like I was taking quotes all over the place from other experts and saying, hey, look, this is this, this is this. And then I would mock up uh, what it looks like if we did it that way. Because also when you, put, when you start putting actual pictures in front of people, like we think in pictures, we don't think in words. And so when you put pictures in front of people and just mocking up fake mock-ups of what it looks like if we did it this way, then they can start saying, okay, I see what you're saying. So you take the facts and the data and expert quotes and then pictures of fake mock-ups, all that together puts a good presentation together to say we really need to be doing this. And then they're like, okay, I see where you're coming from. That's been my experience of that kind of thing. Yeah. What about uh, legacy brands that are strongly rooted in the church and maybe in some cases um, legacy stakeholders who are who own those and maybe you know maybe you have to bite the bullet and come off and start fresh, but advice <laughs> on something like that. Yeah, I mean, and it depends on the thing. Like we have some legacy brands, and there is something to brand penetration and and how long something has been in the market. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to take a brand that's been successful over years and then completely cut it off and shut it down because all the momentum that you might have gained, even if it was little momentum, all of, all of that brand resonance that you might have created, you're cutting that off also. But if, if uh, pretty often you have to take a look at your brand and do a brand refresh uh, because brands need to mature just like humans do. Humans mature over time and so, so do brands. Brands have to. But if the brand is staying the same and stagnant for a long period of time, then it's not going to grow in the way that humans do or in the way that the culture does and things like that. And so, um, <clears throat> so every once in a while, like every couple of years, we will do a brand audit. And I, I recommend it for every organization is do a brand audit. And you basically take all the designs, all the communication pieces that you can think of over the last three or four months, print them out, and then tape them up in a room on the walls and just take a look at them and do an audit and say, okay, what is good and what is bad about this brand? And look at how inconsistent it is and, and put, put green post-its next to the things you think that work and put red post-its next to the things you think don't work. So you can start figuring, okay, what about the brand do we need to scrap? What about the brand do we need to keep? And, um, and you do that brand audit and then you say, okay, now, now that we see where we are as a brand, then let's start doing a brand refresh. And you start doing those exercises. What do we believe? How do we want to be perceived? What do we want to look like? All that kind of stuff. Then you can start putting mood boards together, but you want to keep in mind the things that were working when you did the brand audit. And once you do that, then if you're talking to legacy stakeholders also, hopefully they still see you're keeping some of the brand that was there when, when they were putting it together and when they were thinking through it, but then also you're communicating, but we need, to, we need to mature just like audiences mature and people mature and cultures grow and all that kind of stuff, you know? So, yeah. Those brand audits are so important. I'm glad you asked that because brand audits, oh my gosh. You, you got to do it. All the time, <laughs> just to just to just to take a look and say where do we stand as a brand right now? Because uh, the problem with with um, creatives is we'll get so deep into making something we'll forget to to take a step back and understand how does it fit in the whole picture. And so when you when you just stop and print out the whole picture, then you can see and be like, okay, I see where we are, and then you can dive back in. Those brand audits are really important. Yeah. Who are some of your go-to sources that you like to glean inspiration from as it relates to branding? For brands or people. Uh, Phil Knight's book, um, Shoe Dog, is, is really interesting. And I only say that one, I learned a lot from, it's not a branding book, but you can understand why the brand is the way that it is. Like when, when you understand his story and all that, then you can see, oh, that's why they're always talking about achieving the impossible and overcoming obstacles and all this stuff. In that book, it talks about how he, um, he was an average runner at a University of Oregon. 
And uh, he was good enough to be on the team, but he was so bad that they could test shoes on him. <laughs> and so, and so he would, uh, he'd try out shoes and they would test and see if it cut off time from his running. And if they were good, then they'd put those shoes on the good runners, you know. And there's things like this, so like one of their values is if you have a body or if, if, if you have a body, you're an athlete. Like that's one of Nike's values along with achieving the impossible. And when you read the book, you can understand why the brand is the way that it is, you know, because it's, it's based on those kind of values. Um, for Patagonia, the book is called um, Let My People Go Surfing. And, uh, and it's the same thing. You can understand why the company, like, everything they put out is so much about planet protection kind of stuff, you know? And when you read his story, you understand why he cares so much about that. And you see how the brand evolved into that kind of thing. I, I like reading a lot of books that just tell the story of how a brand got started. There's, there's one about Starbucks I read that's really interesting. I don't remember what it's called. And there's one called the, um, I don't remember. It's a combo book about Uber and Airbnb. And it talked about what problems they were solving, you know. So I read those kind of books. There's a book called, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember all these books at the top of my head. Uh, oh man, I don't remember. I can't remember what it's called. It's, I can picture it in my head and I cannot see the title. Designed that the, the uh, dang, I can't remember it. Um, yeah, I can't remember it. Uh, <laughs> any brand book I, I, I could find, I take a look at and see what I could take from it, you know. Um, but yeah, some of those titles I just can't remember. You, you mentioned a video uh, something about uh, Bar the Future or something? Yeah, Borrowed Future, yeah. That's Bar our, the Future, okay. Yeah, Borrowed Future. Borrowed. And it's, it's a documentary we made about the student loan crisis and all that. Um, and what these companies are doing uh, to destroy kids' lives and all that stuff. And that one's on Amazon. Yeah, that's a good one. I, mean, I can't remember the name of that book. That's gonna, that's gonna bother me. When you, when, you look, when you talk about consistency, mm -hmm. how do you maintain that consistency within maybe, within your team, an ever-changing team? Mm -hmm. you know, people can come in and out, maybe just job transition. Yeah, yeah. And then also, as years go by, keeping that consistent brand. I know every now and then we do a brand refresh. Keeping yeah. a consistent brand as technologies and deliverables change. Like how do you keep that consistency across the board? Yeah, it's a good question. We, we do something at work we call closing of the brands. And, um, and this, this wasn't my idea. I thought it was a brilliant idea. It's not my idea. Um, and every quarter we have closing of the books. And so um, leaders get in a room and look at the numbers of the business and see how did we do this last quarter, you know, all this stuff. And uh, we realized that we were putting way more emphasis on the numbers than we were the brand. And um, the brand, you got to look at branding as an investment. And so sales is a short-term thing, and branding is the long-term investing. Uh, you, can, you can do marketing things to get short-term money in the door, but branding things, there's no direct ROI when you do branding stuff. Um, you just do it. And as you're talking to the customer, you're seeing that it resonates, but it builds, it's an investment over time as people get more and more familiar with it, which means you have to be consistent over a long period of time uh, for that to happen, just like with investing in mutual funds and all that. And so, uh, so we were looking at that and we're like, wow, we're putting way more emphasis on the short term than we are the long term of, of how we're doing business. And so we said, well, let's do closing of the brands. And so we have a team, we, we call it the brand, uh, the brand committee. And, um, and we get together and uh, every, every quarter, every business unit has to come in and they have to show us 
everything that's happening in the brand uh, over the last three months. And so we just all look at it in a room and we just dissect it and say, I like what you're doing there. Don't really like what you're doing there. Why don't you try this? And they explain, we're doing this with copy. We, start, we started trying to do this with technology. We're doing this, this, this. And they, they just walk through what they've been doing the last three months, you know. And, and we have a scorecard that we give them where we, uh, it's a yellow, red, and green. And we say in these five categories, um, consistency, you're, you're a green in consistency. You are a red in emotional connection. You are, you know, whatever. <clears throat> you're yellow in expressing your values, all that. And, uh, and we just have a scorecard. Uh, and, and at the end, we say, okay, so on average, you're about a yellow. So work on these two categories. And the next time, let's talk about how you did there. But we have a, we have a rhythm like that where, where we, we, we stop as a team and just look at what we're doing with the brand and grade it. And that's how we stay consistent. That's a good question. What are, what are the categories on that scorecard? You should off a couple of them, but. Yeah, it's like, how, how are we expressing the values and beliefs? Um, the, <clears throat> well, actually, what, what we have is, um, does it look like us? Does it sound like us? Is it explicitly say us? <laughs> Those are categories. Are we consistent? Are we transferring trust? It's things like that, you know? And so uh, by us, we all know that means warm, real, and bold. Oh, but does it look like us? Is it warm, real, and bold? <clears throat> when, when it says, does it sound like us? Is our personality coming through? Is, is that warm, real, and bold? Is it, is it expressing our values and beliefs? Is it explicitly saying us? Do we explicitly say Ramsey when we're putting stuff out there? Um, and then, yeah, the, is it consistent? Are we transferring trust? And, and we, we score off of those things. But we, a long time ago, we decided... What, what does it mean to look like us and sound like us? And I walked the whole team through all that stuff, through, through the exercises, through the mood boards, all those things, and uh, walked all of them through it so everybody in the, in the company knows this is what it looks like to, to look and sound like Ramsey. And uh, about once a quarter, uh, some people on the brand committee also go on stage and staff meeting and just walk through this is where we are as a brand, all that kind of stuff. And that just continues to have the whole company understanding this is what we look like and this is what we sound like. Because uh, like I said up there, all 1,150 of us are responsible for the brand uh, at the company. We all have a part of some touch point that, that uh, a customer is going to have. And so if all of us don't understand the brand, then we're going to be inconsistent somewhere. So even our phone calls need to be warm, real, and bold. You know, our phone calls need to sound like us for our salespeople. Everybody needs to understand this is what we are communicating because uh, we're all responsible for it. Everybody, everybody who works in the church is responsible for the brand of the church. It's not a creative thing. It's not a leader thing. It's everybody's responsibility. That sounds like really a good point at Ramsey that the brand is preached and promoted in such a way that all across the board they understand that. Because I think a lot of times in organizations and churches, people across the board don't understand or value yeah. um, what is being spoken every promotional piece that goes out yeah and that's why they're just trying to promote just their lane or just their message as opposed yeah. to looking at the whole mm -hmm. picture it's true yeah i see it all the time yeah <clears throat> so i think time is up no one has come and said time is up but i know it's been past 35 minutes <laughs> so i want to respect everybody's time and i know people are going to go other places so thanks for stopping by i like talking about this stuff i think it's fun yeah